We are recording. Recording in on progress. Friday, April 14th, 2023, at 3.25 p.m. Eastern Time with Mr. Gordon Knight. Guys, as always, if you'd like to support the podcast and you're watching on Rumble, there should be a little red button for locals. That's Rumble's version of Patreon. You can go support the show for a couple bucks a month. You can get free stuff. I think free access for a month. Promo code Tommy. Behind the scenes, studio walkthroughs, upcoming guests, guest suggestions, all that stuff. Or you can click on the link for the merch store. Uh, all those designs are my own. Taught myself graphic design before I did the podcast. And those are some crazy designs. It all goes to the podcast, making it better and keeping it independent. I can't really honestly say it keeps it independent because that implies I have advertisers, which I don't. But it sounds better when I say it helps me keep the show independent. Uh, Mr. Gordon Knight, please introduce yourself, sir. Sure. Well, I'm happy to be here, Tommy. My name is Gordon Knight. I am a bit of a peculiarity. I am a small business owner. And I say small, Tommy. I am the business most of the time. Uh, I publish electrical guidebooks, um, the sort of thing you buy at a home hardware, or Home Depot, that kind of thing, to wire your kitchen or your bathroom safely. And I've been doing that for the Canadian market uh, before... <laughs> Technically, the company's been around since before I was born. About five decades we've been in business doing these publications. Well, the reason I've sort of come into a peculiar situation worthy of your show is that a little while ago, the Canadian government decided to start their own guidebooks in competition with me. And if you and I, Tommy, just set to aside for a second whether they should be doing that, uh, the fact is they weren't very good at it. And so uh, their guidebooks weren't selling very well. And... Uh, well, any small business owner will tell you the quick way out of that is to improve your product, to up your game. Uh, these are civil servants. They don't work that way. Their preferred cause of action was to suppress their competitor. Of and course. that was, and that's what got me, Tommy, into 11 years of trying to defend myself against the might of the administrative state. So that's kind of my little backstory. That's how I got here. There's been a universe of, of challenge and all this, of course. You know, if you think about um, like major conservatives that are targeted, we've all we know the names is Donald Trump, Roger Stone, etc. But for every one of these big boys uh, that are high profile, there are thousands of little guys yeah. that are targeted just like me, and you never hear about them, but they're targeted in the same way by the same folks in the same administrative apparatus. That's kind of who I am. Yeah, no, it is. You do see the huge names. But yeah, no, you're right. For every one of those is, you know, when someone else gets banned from a massive platform, you hear about it because they're already in sort of the public limelight. And then but they normally also have another giant following somewhere else where they can then tell you about it versus right. the smaller guys. You can really you can bully them, myself included. I had 5000 subscribers, which for me was cool when I got banned. No, nobody knows. Nobody bats an eye. You just you just snuffed out. Right yeah. now. Yeah. Unfortunately for them. I'm a crazy Irishman with a uh, with clinical OCD and a work ethic from hell that got me into medical school, and I'm now applying it to fighting these uh, dirty communists that are censoring me. So jokes on them. I'm waging a war of attrition, bringing over every YouTube creator I can to Rumble. I get nothing from it other than the satisfaction of not going down without a fight. But that is what you said: is it is when something normally doesn't work, well, then you have to improve it, right? And yeah. If my show's not working the way I want it to, I have to improve it. Maybe I have to swear less. Maybe I need to cover more topics on the political spectrum and not just my own beliefs. Unlike today, because the air conditioner's not working, maybe you got to put on a nice shirt and comb your hair over and make sure the lighting is correct and invest in a camera and spend money to make money. Again, today's an exception. 
the other aspect of that is, well, if you have a, a monopoly, why do any of that? Just squash them. Shut them down. Use the power yeah. of the state. Do what cowards have done for, since the dawn of time. And that's that's kind of what they're getting into with you. It is very much. And, you know, my experience with these people, and I, I'm going to generalize here in a pretty brutal way, all sure. right? But in, in, when we talk about civil servants, generally, we're not hiring the best and the brightest uh, to run the country. We just aren't. Uh, typically, an equivalent job in the real world will pay you more money than you're going to make in the civil service, which means the people who get hired by the civil service tend to be on the sort of lower end of the, the capabilities. Certainly, that's the case in Canada. And I'll just give you a for instance, uh, Tommy, some entertainment value. Early on in their war against me, we had a mediation session. is required by the court. What is and they that? were doing what I could you sorry. Could you define that for me, please? Yes, it's where you uh, you have a, a person that comes in, usually with a legal background, and tries to mediate between the parties and get a resolution to the thing before it goes into a full blown court case. Gotcha. That's the idea. Uh, it it didn't work, but uh, it was a surreal experience all the same. My opponent, the, the civil service of the government of Canada, showed up. It's um, known by the acronym CSA. They like to call themselves a private company, Tommy, but it, they're not. They're actually a government agency. They're trying to get the best of both worlds, you know, the power of government, but the freedom to make money as though they were private. Well, they showed up there, and every single one of these people, I think about six of them in the room, are lifers. That is, right after high school, they went to some kind of a certification program in college, and then they come out, get a job with the government, and they, they stay there for the next three decades. So they have no business experience at all. Mm -hmm. It showed. They were demanding that I pay them a royalty for each book that I was selling, each electrical guidebook that I was selling, for the right to refer to the rule of law in the guidebook. Now, they believe that because they draft the law, I see your facial expression, <laughs> but because they draft the law, therefore, the law is their private property and no one, Tommy, can refer to it without their permission. That was the claim. Okay, so <laughs> as serious as I try to be sometimes, there's also a deeply unserious aspect of me and that I will always respect the grift. I work very hard. You know, I could, if I, I got into medical school, I could have taken that same work ethic and become a investment banker and probably, you know, crash the economy and retire at 30. Now I'm doing this podcast, whatever. Part of me will always respect a grift that doesn't hurt people right now. If you're, if your grift is human trafficking, no, you're, you're a demon and you should go to hell. But something like Dylan Mulvaney, everyone's, I can't believe he's, I'm like, that's a guy that was doing an acting career. It wasn't popping. So he put on some lipstick and now he's got $2 million. I'm like, he's not hurting anybody. Like, I will always respect the grift just as like, a, now it's not self-respecting and I would never do it. But there is part of me that just laughs and goes, he just got paid. Like, I, I see you. In that sense, I kind of, in a funny way, it's respecting the grift. But in a less completely unfunny way because the government sucks they're trying to monetize the referral to the rule of law the same way that say a a, a playstation madden football game has to pay post malone if his song is the background music on the main menu Yes, and it's it's not just books. Like that's my background is publishing books. Yeah. But you teach a course, for example, in in the law, you can't refer to the law in giving instructions on the law without paying a royalty. 
This is absurd. It's laughable, right? But the thing is, you know, unlike, I don't know about Mulvaney, okay? But I mean, a lot of these grifters, they know they're grifting. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost like a, a, the artist side of con artistry. No, it's, it's con. Uh, these folks, Tommy, they don't know that. They actually believe this is reasonable. To a normal person, owning the law is absurd. To a civil servant, it's reasonable. You know, we had a, a book at the time that was a, it was a large 1,100 pages worth of engineering guidebook. It was huge. It was just for engineers. It sold for $127, right? They were demanding a royalty of $133 per book. Now, that is mathematically impossible. But to the civil service, they thought that was completely reasonable because in their universe, it's a monopoly. So if you've got to make a royalty that exceeds the retail price of the book, well, you just triple your price overnight. Job done. But in the real world, if I triple my price overnight, I'm out of business overnight. But you see, this is the challenge in negotiating with someone who has no business background at all, but they've got the power to wipe you out based on these false assumptions of what you can pull off out of a royalty. This is the this is the challenge of it. They may be grifting, Tommy, but they're not quite clever enough to connect with the, the absurdities of what they're demanding. Yeah, that's not a funny grift. A funny grift again is a funny grift is uh, two celebrities faking a faking drama against one another on Twitter to get you to click on their Twitter, and then they're getting AdSense revenue. That's funny, right? Sure. That's funny. Kanye tweeting at Donald Trump in like 2017 and saying, he is my brother. We are dragon energy. That's funny. Nobody was hurt. They are not grifting. Well, they are grifting here, but they don't, they don't think it's a grift. They think they're entitled to it. Some of them might know it's a grift, but the important thing is this is that's not even necessarily an accident, right? It's easy. And I do, I do agree with you in this. It's very easy to say, well, they're idiots who have never had a job in the real world, like a professor who went to school to be a professor. Like you don't you don't work in the real world, which is fine for something like neurosurgery, where it's like, yeah, no, you probably should focus just on that. Don't worry about taxes and you focus on on that. That's crazy. It's one thing to say they're idiots. They don't have any real experience. You also then have to remember that there could be smart people in there who knew exactly what they're doing. Now, yes. for you, they're shutting down your, your book. What yes. about when you are directly going against, say, violations of civil liberties? Maybe you are writing a story about Guantanamo Bay or about domestic NSA surveillance, and now all of a sudden, those funny guys of the government who don't know how to do math bring down the power of the state on a Julian Assange, on a Bradley Manning, on a Edward Snowden. Yeah. No, you're, look, you're correct. And by the way, I'm, I caveated that by saying this is a generalization. Oh, yeah, no, of course. Yeah, no, no, I got you. Like we, we've had over 11 years now. I, I did run a blog for a while called RestoreCSA.com, and it did exist. It had a very good following until the government shut it down. Uh, but uh, we got a lot of whistleblowers from inside the civil service. There are good and decent and honorable people in there. They just don't tend to be in charge of the place because they don't last long. Yeah. Uh, usually, if you're very bright in the civil service, you're a threat to the people above you. Well, and you, go to, and you go to the private industry. Right, exactly. You can make more money there. Yeah. So that's kind of the dynamics. I don't want to, I'm not saying everybody's like that. Sure. But, you know, we've been dealing with certainly are like that. They also tend to contract when they know they can't handle it internally. So, and they've got, let's face it, they've got access to the treasury. So they can contract top drawer law firms 
to try to wipe somebody like me out. And they've done that. So I'm dealing with them directly, which is, is a bit comical. Some of the stuff that comes out of there is, is it would be hilarious if it weren't so devastating personally. But I'm also having to defend against their contractors, which are top of the drawer, because frankly, they're very expensive and the government's paying for it. Yeah, and that is, yeah, we're, and again, so I normally just a little, little time out from the, I normally always drink out of a water bottle, not a thermos, because the thermos uh, is uh, <laughs> loud and in people's ears and they listen to it and they're like, I don't want to hear you. Again, the air conditioner's broken. I'm <laughs> sorry. This is what it is. All right. It is what it is. Um, but I'm constantly terrified. I'm going to knock that over onto a thousand dollars of hard drives. But that is again the less funny side of where they have mom and dad's checkbook, and mom and dad's checkbook is the the treasury of the country. And yeah. so where it's hey, they don't know, understand competition, and they you know they don't do profit margin, and then you challenge them. Well, now they can go get these pit bulls from you know, Harvard Law or Yale Law, you know, they're charging you $2,500 an hour. What do they care? They have the treasury behind them. And the pit bull lawyers don't care. They're going beautiful government contract. And then you get the, you know, you get the shaft. Right. No, that's the case. The fact is, though, that when they start, even if you, you somehow manage to overcome all these obstacles that you just outlined, you somehow manage to get legal, you somehow scrounge the pennies to pay for it, the fact is that at the end of the day, the civil service still has inordinate influence, let's say, over court processes. Now, this is where we need to distinguish between Canada and the U.S. for a second, Tommy. In, in Canada, the civil service controls the courts directly through what's called the court administration service. So the civil servants are the ones who pick judges for cases. They allocate uh, judge scheduling. They can promote and advance a judge. They pay out bonuses at the end of the year. So when the civil service is a plaintiff in a case... The judge for that case is selected by the plaintiff. Now, it's not it's not quite as overt down here. We got there are lots of look justices screwed up in the U.S., but it's not as bad as it is in Canada. In my particular instance, Tommy, when they started losing this thing, uh, the civil service selected as a judge between myself and this agency, an employee of that agency. So they ruled in favor of their colleagues. This is what's called trial rigging, and that's what's so breathtakingly disappointing about the whole process that it's not that you can't you, you're not able to win it's not like you've you know you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty right it's not that you can't win it's that you're not allowed to win it's when the arguments don't matter the evidence doesn't matter whether you're innocent or guilty isn't relevant it's what the government wants and that tragically is this is what's typical now in the canadian judicial system and i'd venture to you that it's creeping in it's encroaching on the u.s system as well what does one even do about that? I mean, it's that breaks your soul, right? That getting banned from YouTube. I mean, that broke my like. I I put my life and soul into building this podcast. I I have a biology degree. I have no idea how audio visual works. I don't know a thing about lenses and f stops and and bit rate and I, I, I this is all. This is this is the alien artifact crashing into the desert and you go look at the hieroglyphics and I'm like, I don't what does that mean? And like <laughs> somehow piecing it together and getting it going and having that taken away from me. And then there was no reprisal. You email them and they say, you know, you've been banned because you're a whatever a racist. And I'm like, I don't need what. And then they they kick you off and 
no one feels bad for you because they're like, well, you were spreading misinformation about a pandemic. And I'm like, I interviewed Dr. Malone, the inventor of the M. That's who got me banned. And it just, it breaks your soul. But, you know, at least I found alternative video hosting websites. And you go, well, let's just start again. Let's ultimately, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm doing what I want and no one's owed me anything. So it's like, if you really want this, you're going to find a way. And I am finding a way. Knock on wood. That's got to be, that's got to tear your soul out of your chest when you are fighting the government. And there is no, well, I'm going to go to the other Canadian government. No, it is the (laughs) monopoly. It is the state. I don't like, I don't like the federal government in D.C. I'm going to go to the federal government in Boston. No, 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 no. The demon has tentacles everywhere and there's only one. That's got to break your soul. It, it absolutely does, and it's it demoralizing is probably the word I'd use. But sure, you know, in a specific example, uh, Tommy, I had to. It, it was eleven years worth of law, legal, all right. Eleven years worth of trying to defend myself through eight litigations in three countries. So there's a lot of law going on here. To hold my costs down, I'm doing a lot of my own legal work. So I have a lawyer who presents, but I have to do to hold the cost down. I do the research, I do the writing, that kind of thing. So you get good at it after a while. On one occasion, about halfway through this journey, I had to file one piece of paper, like a single eight and a half, eleven piece of paper, with the local court, the, the clerk of the court. The clerk's office is located in a large um, office tower that handles a whole bunch of legal issues. Lots of uh, courtrooms there, and there's this big window you have to go to, big lineup. Uh, to do this one piece of paper, all I have to do is hand the paper to the clerk. They stamp it. It's receipted. Off we go. This is not a major deal. But remember, my opponent is the civil service, and there's a civil servant who has to stamp it. And if they stamp it, there's evidence that's been admitted against their colleagues. So when I show up at the window, there's no end of excuses for why they cannot accept my filing. And the excuses, Tommy, were hilarious, if you'll permit me. The first one was, the heading is wrong. It has to say, keep in mind this is Canada, it has to say, in the name of Her Majesty the Queen, on top. And it doesn't say that. Therefore, I have to drive home. Two weeks later, when I get more time, I can drive back in, pay for parking, go up the escalator, present it. Now it has the right label on the top, and the majesty of the queen. Now I can't do it because, I kid you not, it's on the wrong size paper. It has to be legal paper, not letter paper, so they can't accept it. So I drive home. Then I change it onto the right size paper. I bring it in two weeks later. Now I can't do it because, look, it says in the name of her majesty, the queen on the top, you can't do that. So I have to go back, take the thing off that they demanded I put on, and I bring it back. Now I can't file it because it's on legal paper. It should be on letter paper. Don't you know that? And it goes on and on and on. This one piece of paper, Tommy, took me eight months of time to try to get it filed. It was a total of 12 trips to that court window. And you talk about demoralizing. There was a sense of dread that comes over me as I was going up the escalator. And you you can start to see the window at the top of the escalator. And you just know you're powerless. They have total control over the situation. There is no alternate window. This is the government, like you're saying. You have to file it here. And there's nothing you can do to compel them to file it. And there's this dread, this palpable dread as you approach the window. And I can tell you as a closer on that one, I failed to get one piece of paper stamped, I had to actually, it sounds ridiculous, this was in Calgary, Alberta, so just north of Montana, I had to fly to Toronto, all the way on the other side of the country, 
to file it in their headquarters building because that was a different window. It was the only other window in the country that I could do it. And I failed there too. I had to get a lawyer to do it and force them to accept the one piece of paper. This is the reality. It's not just what happens in the courtroom, Tommy. If the opponent is the civil service, they can log jam you at every step of the way, all at your expense, all at your frustration, and you have no recourse. That's demoralizing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I guess and and I guess the closest thing I could relate to that is I was pre-med in college. I, all I did was study tw- seven days a week. I went to a party school in the SEC, University of Georgia. I went to one football game. 30,000 beautiful women. I never went out and partied. All I did was study. I did I did independent research in aquatic toxicology. I volunteered at the hospital. I shadowed doctors. I got the letters of recommendation. I, I made this my religion. I studied for the MCAT. I scored in the top 5 percentile. I proudly can say I got into the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. I was one of 100 acceptees out of 15,000 applicants. But... The earliest there was a date, it's like the earliest you can apply. And applicate, getting in early is, is half the thing. You can have the best resume in the world, but if, if you're applying at the end of the summer, they've already, because these are all private medical institutions, they're also trying to, you know, student A might not be a perfect shining 10, but they're trying to fill up positions of people who are going to be paying $400,000 in, in medical tuition. So this is a business on their end, right? So you have some very smart people that get, get cocky and they apply at the end of the summer and they don't get in or they get into a lower rung school. You have people who are really go-getters, maybe don't have the best grades, but they'll get into a, maybe not a Harvard, but they'll get in a, up there because they're just ready. It's going, take it. I was, I mean, like with, with like military precision, I had pl- I had got the document. I had looked up the past, like, the earliest time you can get it. I like timed it on like when like to the post office, like the like the post like the stampage I would need, the money I would need. Filled that I had like filled it. I had filled out like rough drafts just so I knew like how I would have to fill it out. I had this thing ready, like had the alarm set, like went to the when the like the post office opened, and I like got it in and like waited when the actual like online portal opened. I remember stepping out of class. I was like, I have to go to the bathroom, like grab my laptop. Teacher was like, where are you going? And in my mind, I was like, I, I don't give a shit. I'm, I'm, I'm applying it. Like I went out to like, just like the, like the hallway, sat down, like opened up the, like the AMCAST, that was the American Medical College Association, whatever, went in and like was refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. And then it opened and I like typed in my like student pin, got it. I had to have been probably, I mean, I think like a million kids applied every year. I, I, I truly believe like hand on my heart. I was probably like in the first 10 to get it out right so in my mind i'm like you can apply early and be okay and probably get in or you can have incredible grades apply a little later and get in i had incredible grades i had you need two letters i had six letters of recommendation i did everything you should probably score in the 70th percentile of the mcat or higher i scored in the 95.6 like i was like i'm gonna i'm about to bulldoze this process like a machine Two days after the applications opened, they sent out an update and said they're changing the forms. Me and every other kid that had prepared to just be the best were shafted. You had to re-get the application, send it back in, and now you're in the clogged up system. And now to no fault of your own, 
You've put four years of your life into trying to get into the dream medical school. And they just, and AMCAS, all these medical schools are private. AMCAS is a government-run thing. None of it mattered. And when you get back to them and you call them, you go, I, I did this. I did. They go, they go it, you know, things change and there's no recourse. And <laughs> I, I ended up getting into one med. Now, ultimately, this saved me because I decided I didn't want to go to medical school. Had I been accepted, I probably would have I probably would have signed all the documents and then six months later realized, oh, shit, I'm out of I'm at a half a million. So to me, it was actually a blessing in disguise. And so I the whole purpose of that is I kind of want to bring that back to you. Has any of it been a blessing in and when I say it's a blessing in disguise? I don't mean I'm just I'm I'm making the best out of a bad situation. No, I, I decided I didn't want to go to medical school about seven months later. I 100 percent would have signed off on. $360,000 of loans and would have had to go become a doctor to pay off those loans. It truly was like God's looking out for me. Is any of this a blessing for you? Have you found any blessing or am I just being optimistic and you, and you know, you're looking at me like I'm an idiot. Which, which, <laughs> one, which one is it? I'm not looking at you like you're an I idiot. Know, I know. I don't know that I've got the blessing identified yet. Okay. I'll say to you, uh, Tommy, that when I started this, uh, I mean, I'm not a natural publisher. I actually got into this <clears throat> business, family business, because my father wanted a retirement, not okay. because I had a set on being a, a publisher. In fact, I was only going to run the business for three or four years and sell it off and, yeah. and had my own way. Um, and uh, But when they sued me, now I'm stuck with it because they're suing my business, they're suing me personally, and they were suing my elderly father as well. So mm. I, I, was, I was stuck, right? kind of like you in the depths thing. That's what you had been stuck with. That's what I was stuck with. And I will say this, that... You know, so much has changed for me over the last 11 uh, years, going into 12 years next month. Um, some of it has opened up things that could be a blessing going forward. You know, I, I, I happen to know, and I, there's a limit to what I can say on this one, but I, I'm chatting with certain political figures in the U.S. because I happen to know that the Canadian government, this CSA agency, is active on U.S. soil illegally. And they're trying very hard to implement privately owned laws in the United States because CSA already rights about 200 laws in this country. So that would make a foreign country the owner of domestic laws in the United States. It's a bit surreal. And so you start to spool this out. And if I if I hadn't gone through this, I wouldn't know this stuff. I wouldn't have had the research to put into this. I mean, for what it's worth, my first degree was in history. So I know my way around an archive. I have researched CSA, this government agency, up and down in archives in this country, in Canada, and in the United Kingdom. I know my stuff, right? So none of what I've researched would likely have hit the light of day. Because frankly, Tommy, most of the time we talk about like regulatory and electrical, which is what this agency does. It is boring would be an understatement. Okay. It's kind of like the FAA. Nobody links about the FAA until there's an airplane accident, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of things that would have slipped through had this not um, had I not had to go through this. And that could be a blessing in the future. Maybe I'm able to help others. Maybe I'm able to, you know stave off some further difficulty from these civil servants time will tell but there's certainly an option there to see some good out of it i think you will it will it will take some time for me it was just six months of like i mean i couldn't even cry i was just so angry and then you know that was like may 2013 i graduated in december and i, I started to have this this little kind of voice that I had been suppressing for the last year or so was like, I'm not that happy. 
Like, I don't know if I want to do this. And oh, shut up. You're going to be a doctor. And I, I, I don't know. And I finally kind of got the balls to tell myself, like, I, you know, I don't want to do this. And, uh, you know, I, 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 it took me that long to go. There was a blessing in this. And, um, actually it's, it's, it's not, it's kind of funny in that the universe is funny and it's apathy. It's, it's sad in that. So I decided, I was like, I think I want to go to pharmacy school. I was like, it's a lot less insane than medical school. It's like a 50th of the price. I can have a normal nine to five life. I'm not going to be going and being on call at one in the morning until my 50th year of practice. And so I was like, I'm going to go interview at, at the University of Georgia Pharmacy School. I was like, I could stay here. I had just a couple months earlier, like, fallen in love. I'm like, I could stay here with my girlfriend. She's a year uh, behind me. Like, I'm like, I could stay here. This is great. And um, it was actually nine years ago tomorrow. And I went in, and I and I talked to the dean. And he goes, I'm looking at your resume. He goes, it's in, he goes you got into medical school? He goes, yeah, you're a shoo-in. Done deal. I was like, all right. And like, I was going to go meet with them in like a couple of days and like start signing everything I needed to. That same day, nine years ago tomorrow is the day that my older brother took his life. And it put, it, it put the stop on that. That one's a lot harder to find a blessing in that one for years. just seems like pain, but nine years removed now I'm doing my own podcast. I'm my own boss. I wake up at noon every day. I go to the gym. I listen to audiobooks. I interview the authors of the audiobooks. When I see something on the news, instead of trying to find an article, I can go, I'm just going to interview the guy about the story. And I just, you know, and I, it's, I live the coolest life imaginable. I, right back there is my video game uh, computer. I stream that at night. I'm making money doing that, that. And when you said earlier, you are the business, I am the business. There's, I have no boss. I have no employees. There's no board of directors. It's just me. It is ultimate freedom. Now, granted, it's terrifying, and you constantly never know if it's going to fail, and you're going to be on the street tomorrow. But I have found that the things that really seem to be the worst parts of my life, the most unfair things done to me, not something I did, like I got drunk and got a DUI and lost my license. I didn't, but that's you know an example of something you did. The things that happened to me, the medical school application, uh, getting into pharmacy school and then just mentally I'm just gone they have always turned out to not only be a blessing for my own life but helping others as well and that now I have a podcast with 17,000 viewers well now I can interview military veterans who run nonprofits on how to prevent suicide and now I can reach 17,000 people and I can have them on. And who knows how many people... I don't know what's going on. I don't, it's not like I get emails from people. But I know I'm doing good about something that is meaningful to me. So as, as blisteringly angry as government bureaucracy or just the unfairness of the human condition can be, if you wait long enough... And it, sometimes it can be a while. The med school one was six months. Losing my brother is... We're coming up on a decade. And I'm still not entirely there on it's a blessing. If you if you hold out and you just wade through the shit, you can find the silver lining and then actually help others. And then when it's all said and done, it starts to dawn on you that none of this was an accident. 
this is what I was here for. So that's what I would say to you. Not that you asked, but that's what I would say to you is hold out because you're going to find the blessing. I think you're, you're right, Tommy. And without, hopefully without turning this in a dark direction, I I had to make a call um, a few years ago, phone call to somebody a few years ago, which, which goes down as the most difficult call I have ever had to make in terms of intimidation Mm -hmm. and, it was to a gentleman whose brother had committed suicide, and uh, and he he was his brother was an employee of CSA, this okay. government agency. He was a senior engineer, and uh, he was a very honest guy. And um, his name had come forward as somebody who had been fired for the crime. I use the word crime with little hash marks around it, of um, refusing to falsify safety testing data on consumer products. You see, the, the government wanted to push through these products as quick as they could. And even if they weren't safe, you know, they only get money if they certify them. And he was saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And so the CSA decided to fire him. And it got worse than that because he knew stuff. He was dangerous. He had he knew what they were doing. And so they proceeded to make calls and using government influence to blacklist him everywhere around so he couldn't get another job. He was complaining about it uh, throughout to their ethics team and found that the ethics team was not actually what they were billed to be. They they have one to say they've got one, but they weren't actually having any teeth to correct anything. The actual phrase that he was given before uh, he was fired was, if you don't like it here with regard to falsifying safety certifications, you, you can quit or kill yourself. That was the line he received. And with great tragedy, that's what he did. They took away his ability to make a living. They took away his reputation. He couldn't get a job anywhere because of the government. And I had to speak with his brother about that and figure out what on earth went wrong to see if there was something we could salvage. Some clouds don't seem to have silver linings at all, Tommy. They just don't. But the reason this brother was willing to talk with me um, is because he was trying to hopefully save lives elsewhere. All these medical devices which are being certified without safety certification. That is, they're not safe, but they have a safety label put on by the civil service. Stuff like that. If we can draw attention to that, we potentially could save lives down the road and we can maybe draw a silver line on that horrifying cloud of suicide. That is the worst call in my history thus far. I'm glad I made it, but it's the worst one I've ever had to go through. Yes, sir. It's... And that is something that you can kind of settle into is it's a form of bargaining where you go, you know what, maybe, maybe there are just some dark clouds and it just is what it is. And that can also be depressing where you go, it's a dark cloud, every cloud's dark, but it can present itself as a, as a rational compromise where you go, some clouds just in, you know, and you move on being the the hard-headed Irishman that I am there's there was also a stubbornness in me that was like I'm gonna find a silver lining in this just to say F you to the universe like for no other reason not some noble I'm gonna do something brave and bring awareness to mental health that sounds all well and good and I can say that now but for nine years a lot of it was just like me looking at the universe and just being like, screw you. Like, I'm doing this to spite you. I don't care if it kills me in the process. I'm you're, I'm taking you down with me. And then, you know, eventually something beautiful did come from it. But 
you know that is a uh, that that is a thing where it can just seem like there is no value to it and i mean i can't even say you're wrong it's well the thing is tommy even right now like when we started this conversation i had no idea we're going to start talking about suicide the fact is you've got this massive audience i mean you're fairly well known you're talking about mental health issues you're talking about suicide issues and you don't know who needs to hear that correct right and so there may be silver linings there that 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 you're not going to that we're not not seeing Exactly, exactly. And that's kind of where I'm trying to, you know, picture put myself here is that I may not know where this is going to land exactly. And I may not be able to discern, you know, if anybody has been saved as a result of what I'm doing. But there's the prospect of it. And so long as there's the prospect, and so long as we're fighting on principle on matters of integrity and honor, you know, then, you know, keep going. That's the goal. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. When I was you know, back to the OCD thing. When I say I'm OCD, I don't mean it in like a, oh my God, I have to keep my, I mean like clinical OCD. Literally I had to do therapy for a couple months because they were like, you were one step below hospitalization. And I was like, and this was like years after I got into med school. And I was like, they're like, was it worse in the past? And I'm like, it was a lot worse. So by that definition, I was like, I should have been hospitalized in college for my, I had no idea. I just figured I was a hard worker. So like, but like with that, I had, I had, I had, downloaded like the you know or bought the different prep books for the the mcat uh, kaplan was one company exam crackers um princeton review uh the berkeley review the, all these different companies and i was going through them all and you know there's only so much science you know they all have this gravity is the same in all of them but they they start covering different topics and the ocd part of my brain was like well they're covering something that they're not covering and I started to find the things that were outliers. And I was like, well, I can't, I, I, I need to get all of them together. So I just started making these PowerPoints. I mean, I'm talking 900 to 1,000 pages long of like the stuff that should all be in one total book, but none of them are doing it. And it, I think what I did was, was technically illegal and plagiarizing, but it was over a decade ago, so whatever. And I just put these all together in a PowerPoint and I used it. And then the proof was in the pudding. I aced the MCAT. And I remember taking these things and I was like, they are of no value to me now. I'm not retaking the MCAT. And I think I just uploaded them to Reddit. And I was like, hey guys, free study guides. Like uh, I took all the different reviews because people are always, which one's better, Kaplan or exam crackers? And the things are, is these prep books, these prep courses are expensive. They're like $1,000 of each. And some of my best friends that were also applying were like first generation immigrants from Africa, first generation immigrants from like Vietnam. One, I mean, one of my friends literally lived above his parents' laundromat. Like, they didn't have the money, so they had to choose the one that they thought was best and buy it. I didn't. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm from a well-to-do family. I grew up not wanting nothing. So it started with me just giving it to them. And I was like, I already took the MCAT, so now I'm not worried about you guys, like, competing against me. So I was like, they're yours. And then eventually I was like, well, why don't I just post them online? And the point of all of this is not to pat myself on the back because I, I don't care. But it was people starting to email me, like, or on Reddit before I got eventually banned years later, just messages about, like, hey, dude, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a single mom. Like, I can't, I couldn't afford any of this shit. Like, I took the MCAT several times, like, failed. Like, dude, your study guide helped me so much. Like, I got in. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then it happened, like, a second time and, like, a tenth time and a twentieth time. And eventually I got banned for I don't remember what. But these are people that got it, like, that that shifted their life. Like there's another doctor in society. So none of that's important. Like that's, that's whatever. 
I don't care. But it does serve as a reminder to me that they had an email address they could contact me and tell me. There are a lot of people that might be listening to this show or 500 episodes ago and hear a story and they don't have an email address or even if they did, it's not something as simple as, hey, bro, thanks for the study guide. It's something very personal, like I am suicide. They might not want to talk about that with the stranger, which is, I get it. But to your point, that is one of the things that keeps me going is like, you just might not be seeing the silver linings. You might be the silver lining for someone else. And that's, I think that's a worthwhile fight. And it also helps with my own sanity to, I'm like, okay, this cloud's dark. And I'm like, all right. Someone else is seeing the silver lining. And, and who knows? Maybe I'm just lying to myself to stay to stay sane. But, uh, yeah, man, I don't know. Well, I think you're right. You're on to it. And I, I feel very similar in that, sure. Tommy. I've heard over the years. I've been doing this long enough now yeah. that, um, you know, people have heard about me. Even if my book is banned now, my, you know, my website was taken from me, I'm banned on Amazon. Kind of like you. I've had a similar background on that. But, you know, I've heard enough from enough of these people out there that say, I'm going through something similar. You know, the civil service is hitting me or the deep state is hitting me or whatever language they use. How do I get through it? And I do have a wealth of knowledge now. I mean, the, the fact is to survive this kind of thing, if you're the little guy, you have to be wily. Oh, you know, yeah. you're creative. You oh, got to be yeah. on game all the time. You got to be kind slippery. Like, you gotta, can't grab you. Every hit has to connect is what it comes out to. Yeah. So I have that experience and I'm able to within reason, okay, I can help out with these other, other people that are going through similar things. And if I can help them through something that spares them or their family some difficulty, then I've done enough good, right? I've, I've contributed here in a meaningful way, and there's your silver lining. So I'm hoping I can, I can do more than I've done thus far. We'll see on the big picture if we can roll back mm. this administrative state, at least get them out of the United States. Canada shouldn't be down here anyway. So if we can do something like that, That'll be a huge win and an obvious silver lining. Until then, it's all these little stories, some of which you hear about, and some, Tommy, you're never going to know about, but you have to have confidence they're there. You do have to have confidence they're there and have faith that they're there. And it's, it's not easy. And, you know, even having this conversation or doing this podcast, and like I started the podcast because I was like, yeah, it could just be cool. And, Several months later, it's like I'm interviewing doctors and I'm getting banned from websites. And I'm like, I don't, I had, did not sign up for this. <laughs> like, people are emailing me. They're like, you're a disinformation Nazi. And I'm like, I just interviewed a doctor about vitamin D. Like, I didn't, I th I wanted to just do cool interview. <laughs> I want to interview, like, I don't know, like a comedian or something. I want to talk about cool shit, like roller coasters. I don't know. And it's like, no, you're I'm interviewing like Ukrainian refugees. And I'm like, ah, this is so much heavier than like I ever wanted it to be. I truly, I just wanted it to just be fun. But sometimes I pause and I go, well, then why, why am I doing this? Like if I'm going to put this much work into it and lose this many friends and get so many angry messages, like what, why not just, just go get a nine to five at like, why not just go, Go down the street and become a bartender. Like, what What am I doing? Like, I don't think I, I... The podcast does okay, but it's nothing to write home about. It's enough for an apartment, but it's not like, oh, you got that podcast money. No, what? No, no, I don't have that podcast money. Why do I do it? I think... 
I think maybe deep down I know it's a it's a worthwhile thing. And I would imagine that's maybe behind you as well. There are easier ways to make a, a normal living. Yes, emphatically, uh, Tommy. But, you know, you talk about getting a job as a bartender or a nine-to-five or something. And without disparaging, you know, sure. work today, the simple fact is that if you have an OCD issue, and you said you do, you probably would find those things less than fulfilling. I mean, the fact is, you look at like Hollywood, the, the really successful Hollywood producers are usually they have OCD or some kind of bipolar disorder or something, something that puts them into frenetic activity. Yeah. You stick someone like that in the mailroom of a multinational corporation. That's true. And talk about suicidal. I mean, <laughs> is the reality i think that you have gravitated to something that is very fulfilling because it's very varied it's very deep you're dealing with the people at the top of their game you talk about mccullough for example i mean hard to get higher than that i mean this is what you're doing and it works for you hmm. in my case you know i d didn't ask for this but you know i i happen to be doing a fight of my life that i happen to be fairly well positioned for and I'm trying to do good here. And if I can do good, it's fighting for something larger than myself, which is really the goal of most folks. Hmm. This is where you get some fulfillment out of it. Yeah, it is sort of that, that, that was, is, the, is it Maslow? Is it Maslow's hierarchy? Is that the, the pyramid where the bottom is like food, shelter, water, and then the next is like, I don't, I don't know, companionship or something. And then it's, it's up and up and up to like happiness, fulfillment, self-actualization. And then it's like, you know, leaving the world better than you found it or whatever. It is kind of that where it's like, nah, not rolling the money. I certainly don't have like a pop and social life, but there is like a deep itch that is being scratched. And you're like, when you, when you watch the news and you just see how dark everything is, you go, I know I'm trying and am I going to succeed? I have no idea. Is the state just going to lock me up and kill me? I'd say there's a solid chance of that, <laughs> but you, there is a, there's a deeper piece that when you, when you lay down and you sleep well at night, I always think of like, there will be a time when I lay down and I don't get up. Right. There's a time when you're going to be, it's the archetype is you're laying down on the hospital bed and it's you're not getting back up i don't want to be full of regret in that moment i want to probably be scared who isn't scared of death but i want to just go like i want to be able to go back i want like 80 year old me to visit me and he and just look at me and be like like I'm, like I'm proud of what you're doing and I won't even know what he's talking about, but that's what I want is the deep itch to be scratched. And I th that's what, th that's what I do have. And I think that's what you have. And yeah. that is worth it. It's, it's a terrifying journey. It's incredibly lonely. It's soul crushing. It is disillusioning, demoralizing, but when it does work, it's like dipping into a hot tub for your soul. You're like, okay, I, I did it. And maybe the next people that come into this world are going to have it a little better. And that's, I think that's a worthwhile fight. <laughs>
I think you're right, Tommy. And I'd, I'd, I'd look at it. If you think of, uh, you hear about these boxers that step into the ring hmm. and, uh, and they, they fight these, you know, opponents that inside they're very intimidated by, but they don't let it show. And they get through it. Never mind if they win or lose, but they faced their hmm. biggest. And they've got, they sort of walk with an air, but they've got nothing to prove. Hmm. And there's something in that too, right? That, you know, you've, you've been targeted by, you've been canceled all over the place. I've been canceled. You faced your biggest opponent. You stood your ground honorably, right? For something, a cause that's larger than yourself. And you've got nothing to prove. And there's a sense of fulfillment. Yes, but there's a sense of inner peace that comes from that as well. That you can look back on this in years to come and know that your, your, your candor, like how you handled it was honorable. What you were doing was honorable and worthwhile. And you don't have a regret on that. There's a lot of folks out there, Tommy, that they're, 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 pardon me, they're pissing away their lives. And mm. you don't have to worry about regret if what you're doing is meaningful and substantive. Yeah. Was that, was it Hunter S. Thompson? I don't know who it was, some quote, where it's like the, I'm going to completely butcher it, but it's like the purpose of the boat is not to stay moored in the harbor safely. It's to go out over the horizon and it might sink. You might get hit by a rogue wave or taken over by pirates, but the the point is is to go journey into the new world. Like that, that's what it is. It's very safe to not do anything, and I get it. It's very safe. It's very calming. But it's also death. It's an early death. You're doing nothing, and I, I it just it does end. This will eventually end, and I just want to know that like I had the balls to go do it whatever it is. To it, it comes to the question, the meaning of life. Yes. And we're getting deep here, aren't we? But it's the truth. It, that's what sort of it comes down to. And your life is not, you, you're not here to live in a shrink-wrapped kind of existence. You know, mm. your boat never leaves the harbor. You're here to put responsible risk in place, to try to accomplish something of note, something larger than yourself. And if you do that, well, you've met some of that purpose, haven't you? Yeah. That's where you can obliterate regret in the end of your years. And then I also, and this is like a personal belief, I also think that like if we are here on some reincarnation cycle, if you don't do it, you, you just got to do it next time. <laughs> so it's like, it's like not only should you do it, but like you have to. Now, I know obviously is that true? I have no idea. I can't know that that's real. And I only kind of believe that. But like on, on the off chance we are here on a karmic cycle, like I... I, like I was just saying, I did very well in college, except for math. I failed and then withdrew, so I didn't actually get the F. If you withdrew before the midterms, it was just called a withdrawal. I with I I WF'd, withdrew, failed from pre-calculus three semesters in a row. <laughs> sorry, and, that's I'm sorry, Tommy. That is funny. <laughs> that's bad, man. And I, I was like the number one, number two kid in OCHEM, genetics, microbiology physics i was knocking that shit out of the park pre-calculus i just couldn't i'd get angry and i just like fuck it and just get an f and i'd withdraw and then it just finally dawned on me that i didn't have to take it and do well it just would also mean that i wasn't going to medical school and i wanted to go to medical school so eventually i just was like i have to take this course and i have to pass it and I did, and it wasn't easy, but I finally was just like, there's no way around this. Now, you don't have to if you don't want to go to med. Like, that's fine. 
you, you don't have to do the karmic cycle. I mean, who knows? Maybe we chose to do that. I have no idea. But if you do want to ascend or enlighten or whatever spiritual thing beyond this physical realm is, you got to pass the class. And <laughs> I can tell you, it would have been a lot less painful to have just taken the class once and put in the time instead of <laughs> withdraw failing three. I don't know how I got into medical. Like, did they not look at that and think something was wrong? They no, no one ever brought it up. They're like, what is it with that? And I was like, yeah, don't, don't worry about it. It's pre-calculus. But like, you eventually have to do it. So you can do it in one semester. You can do it in four. And yeah, I guess, I guess part of me is thinking like, I do believe in God. That's my own personal belief. I don't push that on anyone. And I do think I got to talk to him when I die. I'd rather be able to look him in the eye and be like, I did some bad things. I wasn't always the best friend and, you know, things that only he knows about. And I'll be like, and I'm not, I'm not proud about those, but the big one, the big thing you and I both know, I, I, I tried my hardest and did the right thing. And like, that's what I want. I want to be able to walk into whatever heaven or the afterlife or whatever it is. Choose your religion. I just want to be a, I don't want that feeling of like death and you're like, Oh, oh my! Oh man, I'm getting. I want to be like, hey, I I didn't do perfect, but like I know what I did, and like that's what I want is. I I did it. It's my own. I owe nobody anything. I don't need to prove anything to anyone. I know where I stand. I know I'm proud of myself. And fuck it, like that's all I need. I don't know, man. <laughs> your final thoughts i said we wrap this one up that was a, i think that i think we just came to a beautiful ending <laughs> well we covered interesting topics my good friend we did a lot of stuff here that i wasn't expecting getting the meaning of life how to be successful no one ever it. expects it they come in here thinking they know what it's about though we're going to talk about my book i'm like good luck <laughs> well you know i do appreciate your time tanya yeah. thank you for having me on here the book oh. itself i think we touched on this already it has been banned Deep so six diaries I, yeah, I would love to sell it on here. I could use the money, but um, they have banned the book. But there is some information available at the website, deep6diaries.com. So deep6diaries.com. Uh, you can email me if you want. I may be a little slow getting back. The volume is high, but I will respond. Um, and so if there is a time when the book has been released by the heavy-handed bureaucrats, I will put an advisory out there to everybody and let them know that you can now pick it up. Until then, it's a rarest book in America. Hell yeah, man. That's how you know it's good. Well, thank you for coming on here. Thank you for your vulnerability. Some people get very uncomfortable when I talk about things like this and they kind of clam up, which is cool. You don't have to. But uh, yeah, uh, people come on here and it's it's often a roller coaster. And then the real funny thing is just, I didn't know we were doing this either. So it's not some like, it's not some like, oh man, Mr. Knight has no idea what I'm about to pull on him. I also don't know what I'm about to pull on me. I'm going in this roller coaster with you. Tommy, is this a roller coaster? I'm like, I think it is. I don't know. I haven't been on it before. Like, I'm blindfolded too, man. But I think that's what makes it fun. And I think when you kind of take off all boundaries, that's when something really cool can happen. And I, um, I guess that's our final thesis against the uh, the evilness of bureaucracy is when you have no guidelines and red tape, something beautiful happens. <laughs> if we had tried to plan this out with government talking points, that would have been awful. It would have put you to sleep. Instead, we went this way and that way and... Who knows? But um, 
I'd love to have you on here again, man. That you're a cool guy. We can shoot the shit about whatever. And um, yeah, I'll I'll email you this link right now. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Tommy. Real pleasure chatting with you. Thank you, sir. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. Mr. Gordon Knight. Guys, Deep Six Diaries, deepsixdiaries.com, deep, the number six, diaries.com. Thank you so much. God bless. Stay safe, everybody. Peace.